<laughs> what fun. Every day is back in town. I like that. How fun. Thank you. Gosh. Hello. Good to see all your smiling faces. Missed you last week. I, was, I, I went and explored Bass Lake. Have you all ever been up to that area? It was, I guess that's where Reverend Cindy lives up in that area, Reverend Cindy and, and Lynn. And uh, Reverend Doris was here. Was that fun? Yeah, she's fun, isn't she? I heard good things. I heard good things. Well, it's good to be back with you today. We are moving into the last of our October themes. We're going to wrap it up a little bit early this month. Next week, we're going to start off on a whole new uh, program, which I'll tell you about. So we are still doing our 100 years of science of mind. You know, we have only 10 Sundays left. 10 Sundays left this year. So we're moving our way through the Living the Science of Mind textbook, uh, which we've been using this year. And this month we are talking about, there we go, freedom from fear and error thinking. Freedom from fear and error thinking. That's been our theme for the month of October. And uh, some of the essays that we read this month or that we talked about was a uh, the fruit of good and evil. We did the story of Adam and Eve a couple weeks ago, if you remember. And then last week, Reverend Doris talked to you about fear and punishment. And today I'm morphing two together. It is if the blind lead the blind and transference are the two essays for today. But we're going with it's all their fault. It's all their fault. That's our talk title today. So that's what we're going to be speaking about as we move forward. And... Uh, you know, how many of us grew up believing that it truly was all their fault? How many of us grew up believing that we were victims of the circumstances that we lived in? You know, if only so-and-so uh, would do it different, if only my parents this, if only my partner this, if only the economy this, right? It was all being done to us. It was all being done to us, and we've talked about that before with the four stages of consciousness or the four kingdoms of consciousness, however you want to say it. And the first kingdom of consciousness, and how we, a lot of us kind of step onto this spiritual path, is with that idea that it's being done to us. It's being done to us, and then hopefully as we move and we spiritually mature, we move through those uh, four kingdoms, we move into that kingdom of it's being done by us, where we're powerful, and we're starting to use these principles, and we're starting to learn how to manifest, and then we get to that place of really realizing that it's being done through us, that we are a vessel for the divine. And then ultimately, we might arrive at that place that it's being done as us that we are in fact spirit may manifest. And now it'd be beautiful if we could stay in that fourth kingdom and just be there all the time. But the truth is that we move back and through and all around those kingdoms. And so some of us arrive again at that place of victim consciousness, that place of, oh, it's being done to me, I'm being oppressed, so-and-so's doing this to me, right? So it's all their fault, it's all their fault. And that's what we're gonna take a look at today, you know? And why do we play that blame game? I mean, why do we even entertain that idea? You know, because it's easier. It's easier than taking responsibility for our own lives. You know, that is one of the things that the principles of science of mind call us to, is to take responsibility for what's showing up in our world. We can no longer blame society. We can no longer blame the economy. We can no longer blame the stock market. We can no longer blame what our partner is or isn't doing. We need to start taking responsibility for what's showing up in our life. And it's, it's you know, it's the path less traveled. It's the path less traveled. You know, there's a story of a young man, a young immigrant boy. He was in the fourth grade, 
And um, he was a Chinese immigrant. And he was here, and he'd entered school. He had entered our public school system. And he had, it was towards the end of fourth grade, and he'd been in school for two weeks already. And he was terrified. He only knew maybe 10 words of English. And so every day he would stay on the playground and he would watch the other kids play tetherball and hopscotch and foursquare and dodgeball and all the things the other kids played. And he was just terrified to participate. He sat in the corner and he watched. He wanted to play, he wanted to be part of, but he was so full of fear. You know, and one day it was about, uh, uh, as I said, he'd been in school two weeks. And he was, the bell rang for recess, and they lined up. And as they were lining up, he lined up with the other kids. And a stray football just came and smacked him right in the head. And it hurt, you know. And at that point, he broke. The tears just started streaming down his face. And he said it wasn't because the football hurt that much. It's because he was so afraid and so ashamed that he didn't even know how to say, ow, that hurts. And the other children came around him and they asked him, are you okay? And he said as much as he tried to stop those tears, they just flowed. They just flowed. And when summer came around, he made a decision. He made a decision that changed his life. He said he was no longer going to let fear stop him. He made a decision to spend his summer at the libraries. He was reading Goosebump, Burke, so you can know what kind of uh, time period that was when Goosebumps were all popular. And he would watch Sesame Street, and he would watch really elementary uh, shows so he could learn the English language. And three months later, when he went to school, he was quickly removed from the ESL class, English as a Second Language class. Not because he had mastered the English language, but because he was interacting with other children, because he was laughing at his mistakes, because he was able to see and learn from the other children. And three years later, he was put in an English honors class. And this young man writes this story today saying that that moment the football hit him in the face was a turning moment in his life because he made the decision because he made the decision not to let fear stop him not to let fear stop him you know so freedom from fear you know how do we get free from our fears how do we move beyond that which is uh, paralyzing us you know, fear is a little thread that runs through our entire life. It does. You know, sort of the flip side of faith, right, is that fear thread. And fear can almost always be attributed to losing something we have or not getting something we want. You know, if we break it down, if we look at why am I really afraid, what's behind the thing, well, I'm not going to get something that I want or I'm going to lose something that I have. Ernest Holmes uh, has a, well, they put together a compilation of Ernest Holmes' writings, and it's a book called Living Without Fear. And a lot of Ernest's writings after he passed, they took together and they put together in some volumes that weren't published before his death, but they're available now. And William Kinnear writes the uh, foreword to this one, Living Without Fear, and this is what he says. We spend most of our lives trying to avoid what we do not like, and seeking to experience more of those things that bring us pleasure, happiness, and well-being. However, in doing this, we find ourselves in an almost continual state of fear in one or more of its many forms. So fear takes on many forms. Fear looks different. 
November Science of Mind magazine is full of articles about fear. You know, it's a, November's a theme next month is untethered from fear. So there's great articles in here. Dr. Ken, who always writes an article in the beginning of the Science of Mind books, he says this, a magazine, excuse me, he says, of the entire range of human emotions, there probably isn't even one that can outdo fear for its potential for pure destruction and counterproductive effect. Kinnear writes, fear seems to be able to affect the function and structure of almost every part of the body. So for that very reason alone, it would seem like it would be good for us to be able to overcome fear, right? If it's living in our body, if it's affecting every organ in our body, right? Or if it's causing more damage than any other emotion, as Dr. Ken said, that's a good reason to take a look at it, to take a look at our fears and see how we can release them, how can we move beyond them? Fear has lots of acronyms, and I know you've probably heard many of them, but the one that's used a lot is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. And what that means is that we begin to look at the facts of our life as the truth of our life. We begin to look at the conditions of our life as the truth of our life. Whenever we're living from conditions, we've got it backwards. When we're living, but yeah, but you don't understand. This is the condition I'm in. You know, it's that whole idea of don't be telling um, God how big your problems are. You start telling your problems how big your God is, right? The truth of the conditions is the truth of who we are. The truth of who we are is the truth that we are spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings. And because of that, we are able to move through any condition. We'll be able to move through conditions. Fear keeps us from creating our dreams. How many of us have not stepped out because of fear? How many of us have played small because of fear? Four areas that fear kind of shows up as resistance and blocks. One of the ones, and these are some things that you may not have thought about. I know I hadn't thought about it until it was introduced to me this way. One of the ways that fear shows up is fear of being a fraud. Fear of being flawed. If we step out, if we really step out in our magnificence, we're going to be found out. They're going to know that we really don't know what it is that we're talking about, right? That we're a fraud, that we're flawed. Another one is fear of outshining. Like that unwritten rule that dad only made it to whatever level that dad made it to. And if I make it to some higher level, I am going to outshine my family. Right? I don't want to go too big. I don't want to get too big for my britches. Right? Who heard that before? Mm -hmm. Fear of the burden of success. What if I really do succeed? What if I really do succeed? It might take a lot of work. I might have to do some stuff. Right? A lot might be expected of me. And lastly, fear of abandonment and disloyalty. You know, you're sitting around with your friends and all of you are making $30,000, $50,000 a year and you have an opportunity to make $100,000. Are you willing to step out? Are you being disloyal to that group? Are you going to be abandoned? Are you going to be shunned because now you're the big shot? Are you willing to step through that fear? Are you willing to step through that fear and to step into that place of your dreams? The difference between success and failure is found in the gap between knowing and doing. It's found in that action. 
there are these little penguins. They're called fairy penguins. They're only about 11 inches high. And they live in Australia. Phillips Beach is where they, that you find them. You'll find thousands and thousands of them. And they're cute little birds. And one of the things that they do is in the morning, they go out and they swim out into the ocean to catch the fish. And at night, they come back to feed their babies. And their babies are about 300 feet up the sand in the little burrows that they've created. And they live underground in these little burrows. But what's so interesting about these little fairy penguins is they get to the edge of the water and they've got their fish and they start to waddle as fast as their little legs can take them, and then they turn around and go back to the water. And they do this, and they do this through the twilight into the night until all of them get back. And why do they do it is that they're really, really skilled in the water. They can swim really, really fast. But when they get to the sand, they're like in this area that they're not that safe. They're open to predators because they can't waddle very fast. So birds and hawks and dogs and cats and things can get them. So what they do is they step out onto the sand, and as soon as they see a shadow or they see something that they think is going to harm them, they turn around and run back to the water. So they do this over and over again, and little groups of them will make it to the burrows and go on down, and finally, by the end of the day, they've all made it back to the burrows. But it's so much like us as human beings. How many of us step out into the sand, and we go a few feet, and we get scared, and we go back, right? And we do it again, and maybe we get a little farther, and we get scared, and we go back, right? We have to be willing to step into that unknown. We have to be willing to step into that place that's not so safe. The place that maybe we're exposed. The place that maybe we're vulnerable. That place that maybe they'll find out that we're a fraud. Right? We need to be willing to step out. We need to be willing to move beyond our fears. Ernest Holmes says, no one imposes fear upon us. We create it for ourselves and our own thoughts and emotions. What we need to realize is that we have just as much freedom to eliminate fear as we have in creating it. As we have in creating it. One of those essays for today is on transference, which is an interesting topic for Ernest Holmes to write about and talk about. Some of these stories in the Living the Science of Mind book, the part that we're in right now, talk about a field that was very much in its beginnings when Ernest was writing. It was the field of psychology. You know, and science of mind is considered a spiritual psychology. So Ernest Holmes is talking about some things that he doesn't really talk about that much, and one of them is this idea of transference. Some of the essays that we're not reading that are in this section are Contagion of Fear, Overcoming Fear in an Inferiority Complex, Living Without Fear, Insecurity, Regression. So if you have any interest, pick up your Living Science of Mind book and read some of these essays. Ernest talks about our family of origin, you know, which wasn't something that people were really talking about in the 30s, right? Our family of origin and how we get so many of our fears handed down from our parents, right? So much of who we are comes from our family of origin. We all know that, right? Psychology 101, right? We are a product of that which we were raised with, right? And Ernest talks about that. He talks about the transference of the fears of a mother to the baby in the womb, 
He talks about the fears of grandparents being passed down through generations to the grandchildren. You know, so we live in this idea of race consciousness, and this isn't a new idea. This isn't something we haven't talked about before, that we live in this place where we have this race consciousness that happens, and we live in a place where we have a family consciousness that happens. And, and if whatever family you were raised in, you've picked up some of that stuff. You've picked up some of that stuff just by the very means of being that vibration, being in that vibration. You know, things that our parents say to us, well, well-intentioned, be careful, be safe, watch your back, make sure you park in a lighted uh, parking lot. You know, all those things are good things, but they set up that fear in us. They set up that fear in us. You know, today, if we look around this world of politics that's happening and all that's happening on the news, we can see this whole idea of race consciousness living it out. You know, if we look at uh, Dr. Ford's testimony and the race consciousness that that created, every woman who had ever been sexually abused was triggered. Not everyone, but many of them were. Right, and all of a sudden, the hashtag Me Too movement, all of a sudden, the women became, uh, there was an uprising because of the race consciousness that was created around that. You know, it's that very vibration that we live in. In the Science of Mind magazine, Dr. Petra Welsh has a wonderful article in here, and it's called Replacing a Culture of Fear with a Culture of Love. And she writes her opening paragraph is so right on to what's happening right now. I just want to share it with you. She says, sometimes I wake up in the morning wondering what in the world is going on. You guys do that? Like, what the heck is going on? There seems to be so much to be afraid of these days. Everywhere we turn, on the news, on social media, or over a cup of coffee with friends, we are confronted with the problems of the world. Whether it's politics or violence, human rights or the planet, we see, we see seemingly overwhelming challenges. It's easy to rail against those who are accused of making the problem or to simply retreat in our own world of spiritual bliss. The truth, however, is that both of the responses are fight-or-flight reactions to fear. Again, that fear, that fear. Dr. Petra, she's the senior minister of a Dallas Center for Spiritual Living. You know, we don't live in a bubble from each other. What we think and what we feel affects those around us. Ernest Holmes tells the story of a man on a train. He says this man, John, got on the train, or it wasn't even a train, it was the trolley, I think, back in those days. And he was joyful, and he was singing, and he was hymning his song, and he sat down next to somebody who was full of anxiety and fear. And by the time this man got off the trolley, he was full of anxiety and fear. And he had no idea why. How important it is to protect ourselves from being in those situations. It is possible for us to catch fear from others much as we would catch a cold. For we are all unconscious, mental, emotional, and spiritual broadcasting stations. Ernest Holmes. He says, this takes us back to a thought in the Bible which says that a man's enemies shall be those of his own household. Have you ever wondered what that meant in the Bible? For our real enemies are our fears and phobias, our doubts and uncertainties, 
our anxieties and inner conflicts. The enemies live in our own house, in our own mind. He also says that if fear is contagious, then faith also is. Then faith also is. There's a gentleman, Les Brown. He's a New Thought speaker. Many of you may have heard of Les Brown. He's a very dynamic speaker, a New Thought teacher. And he did a talk on fear that's all over. I mean, he did this years ago, but lots of people have put together PowerPoint videos or YouTube videos with his message. I'm going to play a little bit of that for you right now. What are your fears? What are you afraid of? What are you scared of? Because we all have fears, don't we? We all have something that's blocking us, that's holding us back. The reason that most people are not living out their true potential and not doing all of the things that they would really like to do it's because of fear. Some people call fear false evidence or expectations appearing real. What are the things that you fear that's been keeping you from living your dream? That's been keeping you from doing some things that you would like to do? Let's think about those things. Don't condemn yourself for being afraid. It's perfectly fine to have some fears. You acknowledge your fears, you embrace those fears, and then you move on. You act on whatever it is that you fear. Because once you embrace it, see, what you resist will persist. And how do we begin to handle that? Abraham Maslow said that the life is about growth. And he said, you can either go back to your comfort zone, and there you won't find any growth, or you must willing, be willing to go forward and face your fears again and again and again. So what kinds of things, what kinds of thoughts are you feeding your consciousness? What kind of things are you putting in your mind? So deciding as you look at your life, as you look into the future and say, what fears am I holding on to? What fears that I'm allowing to imprison me that's keeping me from breaking out, that's keeping me from living up to my true potential, that's keeping me from really being happy, that's keeping me from having a sense of adventure and excitement in my life? What's, what's keeping me from controlling my destiny? Fears that I'm giving that permission to. Notice what I said. We must give our permission to fear, to immobilize us. Because whatever discomfort you experience, whatever challenges or difficulty that it is, you've got to have it. You've got to go up in there and wrestle with it. Will it be easy? No. Will it be challenging? And the majority of the fears that we have are not life or death fears. They're not those kind of fears. But through our imagination, we blow them out of proportion 
and we give them more power than they actually have or deserve, and we permit them to govern our lives. Hmm. What fears are we allowing to take hold of us? Another thing that uh, Ernest Holmes does in this essay, which is very rare for him, is he gives us some steps, some steps to move beyond our fear. And he says the first thing, if you're filled with fear, you must share them. He encourages us to find a friend or someone we can sit with and share them. If we keep them within us, he says, they grow and grow and grow, that we need to get them out. We need to share our fears with someone. You know, that little saying I'm sure many of you have heard, we're only as sick as our secrets. You know, that's what we keep secret inside of us, that thing that we're not going to share, that thing that we're not going to let other people know. He says, get it all out. Sit down and share it. And then he says, face your fears, look at them, analyze them. You know, my spiritual teacher used to tell me to hold it up to the light, each belief that I had. Does it fit? Is it true? Is it true for me today? Is it an old thing that I grew up with that no longer fits? Look at them, analyze them. And lastly, Ernest says, to remind yourself that you would not be here without a power greater than yourself. And you can turn your fears over to that power. You can turn your fears over. He gives us a little prayer. He says, I now lay down all my fears and doubts and anxieties. I pass them back into the great and perfect life of which I am part. He says, become like a little child. Resurrect that child within us. He says, that child that was fearless. That child that would run and play and experiment and do. Find that child. To recapture the dream of youth is the wisest and most intelligent thing any person can do. Fear has brought us confusion. Faith will give birth to confidence. So I encourage you this week to move beyond your fears. To move beyond your fears. Known and unknown. We have fears that we know not of. They're buried. I encourage you to let them come up. See the light. You know, and remember that freedom from our fears is a process. It's an ongoing, continuous thing. It may not happen overnight, or it may. It may happen with the blink of an eye. You know, whatever it takes, it is a journey well worth taking. Because on the other side of your fears is absolute freedom. Absolute freedom. God bless you. So glad you're all here today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Let's welcome Bevan Gregg back to the stage.